We'll be going through a part of the book of Numbers today. Now, we've been, as a church, going through a Bible class curriculum called God's Love Story, and that includes readings that all of us are encouraged to do every week. And there's a, a packet in the back. There's some uh, books that are put together if you want to just read the scripture from the books. Uh, there's different ways to do it, but uh, we're going through, starting in Genesis and by next spring, the plan is to get through Revelation, is looking at the high points of how God has created us and then continually reached out to try to love us, to bring us back into a relationship with him. And so we started here a few weeks ago in Genesis, and we've been going through here in the last couple of weeks, going through uh, the Exodus where the Israelites leave Egypt, and they get out into this new area. They've been in slavery 450 years, and all of a sudden they have freedom, they have the opportunity to determine the, their direction as a nation, they get to reconnect with this God that uh, they had understood and heard something about and knew something about uh, from way back this God of Abraham. And we, as we talked about last week, they came into Mount Sinai and uh, we went through the book of Leviticus, the, the, the laws that God gives the Israelites saying, this is what I want you to look like. This is, I want you to be, this is how I want you to be different than the other nations around. And I did admit last week that my kids had asked me, what is the most boring book in the Bible? And it's, oh, don't ask me that question, Leviticus. It's Leviticus. But hopefully last week, what, what we did is gave you a foundation for seeing the importance of the instruction manuals. Just like we talked about with hunting season, most of us don't just sit down and spend time reading the hunting regulations. That's not the top of our list. But is it important? It better be. Because if we don't follow those regulations, then things go awry very quickly. The same is true with Scripture. Leviticus teaches us some stuff that we don't see from other places. And today we're going to get into the book of Numbers and what happens after Leviticus. Now, one of the things we're going to talk about here is trust, because trust is very important when we're in times that are in between where we want to be. So the Israelites are coming out of Egypt. Egypt is the past. Going into Canaan is the future. But they're in this time in between that ends up being what we call a wilderness area. And we'll talk about that. But trust is very, very important. Definition of trust is from the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, the assured reliance on the character, ability, strength, or truth of someone or something. One in which confidence is placed. In other words, we really believe whatever this person is saying, or whatever, whatever it is, is that we can put our faith, our hope, in whatever is, is being shared. And so we talk about having trust in God. In other words, believing that God is going to fulfill whatever he says. The Israelites are learning this, and it's going to be a tough journey. Maybe one of the best definitions of trust that I've seen is, how many of you have played the trust game? You know what I'm talking about? It's where someone gets up, like on you know, these stairs, or someone gets up there, and that's a little bit high, but um, puts their arms out, and falls backwards, and you wait for someone to catch you. And you know how hard it is to fall backwards with your arms out like that, because everything in you wants to do what? Curl up and try to catch yourself. But if you curl up, what happens? The person can't catch you. So you've got to trust them to be able to fall back. So Phil Young and I talked about this beforehand, and since I'm taller, we think we can pull this off. So Phil's going to stand up here, 
and he's going to put his arms out like this, and he's going to fall back, and I'm going to catch him. Remember we talked about that, Phil, as a demonstration? <laughs> no way. <laughs> no, we didn't talk about that. Had a great sense of humor. So, yeah, no, we're not going to do that. That would, uh, that would cause a lot of heartache for everybody. Um, but you get the idea what trust is all about, is putting your faith or reliance into someone that you know can deliver. Now, when we get into the book of Numbers, what happens here is you read through, and as George shared this morning in the adult class, he taught over the book of Numbers. The book of Numbers comes from the fact that there's a lot of numbers in the book, that the Israelites were numbered and they were counted in the census. But there's stories throughout this book that really teach us something about faithfulness. Now, Numbers covers an area, a time of about 40 years. So the Israelites are wandering for a lot of this time, and we'll see why here in just a minute. But something that comes up over and over and over again is during this wilderness time, this time that is in between when the Israelites are in Egypt and when they get to Canaan, is there's some unrest, there's some learning that has to happen, there's some frustration, and it comes up over and over again. One of these examples is when Miriam and Abraham, or Aaron, excuse me, so they are brothers and sisters. Miriam and Aaron are brother and sister to Moses. And what happens is they're out there in the wilderness, and it's frustrating, and it's an irritating time, and they haven't gotten to this land flowing with milk and honey that they've been waiting for. They're supposed to get there, and it's just not happening. It's not going like they anticipated. You ever been, have you ever been on a trip, and you thought, I wish we could get there already? Kids, have you ever said, are we there yet? Oh, man. So that's the type of frustration, that's the type of, of sensation that they're feeling here. And what happens in all of this is Aaron and Miriam, at one point in time here in Numbers chapter 12, say, wait a minute, Moses, has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they ask? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. So Miriam and Aaron are off in a corner saying, hey, wait a minute here. Moses is, he, God isn't the Moses is the only one that God has spoken to. Here we have uh, Moses calling the shots on behalf of God. And, you know, maybe we need to slim down or make the leadership more efficient here. There's some jealousy going on. And so God calls them and says, all right, all three of you, come on out here. And they go out there. And God says, why, as you know that I have called Moses, why were you unafraid to speak against him like this? And the... The cloud moves up, the Lord moves up out of their presence. And when he does, Miriam has leprosy, her, or, or infectious skin disease that makes her, her skin, it says, as white as snow. And Moses cries out and says, no, don't let this happen. And uh, she's um, asked to go outside the camp for seven days and comes back and is healed, apparently. But in all of that... You see what happens here is even some very, very good people that have been a part of leadership, that have heard the voice of the Lord, that have walked side by side, can get really frustrated and get really cranky and anxious at this point in time, and they try to pull a power move with Moses. And God's having none of it. He says, no way, we're not doing that, that's not how this rolls. And it's a tough situation there for a bit. This isn't the only one. We're going to see something else that happens here in the next chapters where they get to the edge of Canaan. This, they, the trip is almost over, right? They're, the road signs are getting close. They get to the edge of where this area that God has told he's going to give them. 
And there's 12 spies that are sent out to look over all of this area and to uh, take account of what is there. And these, they spend 40 days wandering in this area, and they come back. And it says that they have a cluster of grapes that is so big that they hang it on a pole and it ca- it's carried by two people. Now, that's pretty impressive. You imagine the Israelites see that big cluster of grapes and think, oh, this is phenomenal, this is amazing. Look at all the amazing abundance that this land provides. And so as the, the Israelites are there gathered, the spies come back and they say, this land is truly flowing with milk and honey. There is tremendous abundance. However, there are some really, really big people that live there. And they're scary. And they're intimidating. And there's no way we can pull this off. We're not going to do this. And Caleb silences the people before Moses and says, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. God is with us. We can do this. Joshua is, is on board with that. Joshua and Caleb are two of the spies. The rest of them, they're all named. It says, but the men who had gone with him said, we can't attack these people. They are stronger than we are. The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. They are bigger than us. They're stronger than us. We cannot pull this off. And what happens is there starts this debate among the people. Can we take this land or can we not? And it's amazing to see Joshua and Caleb in that situation that they continue to lobby and say, hey, just let's do this. It's going to be okay. God has been with us. And the people are having none of it. And they sit there and they complain and they gripe and they talk about how good things were in Egypt and here we are out here and we're brought out here in this desert to die and this is terrible and this is awful. Man, it's terrible. And God intervenes and says, all right, this is it. You've had it. You have tested me, rebelled and not put faith in me. Ten times, he says, here as we're since we left Egypt. This is enough. This is not working. And so what happens is the Israelites at that point in time say, oh, wait wait a minute here. Wait, oh, we made a mistake. Okay, we'll go take the land now. Have you ever done that? Grumble, 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 complain, 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 and then you realize that you're getting exactly what you complained for and decide, ooh, wait a minute, nope, that's not what we want. And they say, okay, we'll go up there. We'll go up there right now. And Moses says, nope, God is not with you. You go up there now, These people are big. It's going to go poorly. And they say, we don't care. And they rush to the high ground. They try to take it. And they're cut back. Moses and the Ark of the Covenant never leave the camp. You can imagine what's going through Moses' head and heart there. His, man, here we go again. This is a great mess. Man. And God says, here's the deal. Because you have continually grumbled, continually disobeyed, continually done the opposite of what I have asked of you, I've just asked you to trust me. And you've continually done the opposite. What's going to happen is you are going to wander in the desert a year for every day that the spies uh, explored the land that I promised that I was going to give you. You think I couldn't handle this? And so for 40 years, the Israelites are told, you're going to go and you're going to wander in the desert, and that's what's going to happen. There's going to be some things that you're going to learn. And not one of you, with a very few exceptions, is going to set foot in the land that I promised you. And your kids are going to be able to be able to take, in, uh, to take this land. Imagine what happens over the next 40 years. 
the discussions that those parents have with their children. We are not able to go up into the land that um, I wanted to see so badly because ultimately, even though we saw all of these miracles that God did, even though he uh, appeared to us on the mountain in, in a former fashion, even though all of that stuff, we continued to grumble and continued to complain, even though all of this was, was evident. I hope you learn from my generation and you choose to do something different. And in those 40 years that the Israelites are wandering, and remember, this isn't just a few months, this is over a period of years. Something that happens during this time is there's a a rebellion uh, from a man named Korah. On Wednesday night this summer, we talked about this particular uh, chapter, or a couple of chapters in the book of Numbers. Korah is from the tribe of Levi, but he's not a descendant of Aaron, so he's not a priest. And what happens is Korah and 250 others, plus a, a few others, say, Moses, you have gone too far. The whole community is holy, every one of them. The Lord is with them. Why do you set yourselves above the Lord's assembly? Moses, you are too full of yourself, all of this. All of us are holy. All of us can lead. All of us can do whatever. And it appears that Korah wants wants the priesthood. That's what Moses accuses him of later. But in all this, what happens is Moses says, all right, this is what's going to happen. Put fire in your sensors, a torch lamp, and bring it out. And we're going to see who has God's approval. And fire comes out, earth opens up, and Korah and the followers are destroyed at that point in time. But something that's easy to miss in that story is what happens is it isn't like Moses and Aaron and others are standing there with all the Israelites behind him. All the Israelites are behind Korah and the rest of the followers. It is Moses and a few others standing alone saying, look, we're just doing what God has called us to do. This isn't a power trip here. We're just trying to be faithful. And God destroys these people who uh, who rebel there. And it is a a devastating time. And it's something that uh, brings a lot of heartache to uh, the people that are there that observe it and see it. And not only that, we continue on is this 40 years of wandering the desert starts to get after Moses as well. Uh, You remember there's a few times we talked about where the Israelites, when they first came out of Egypt, they grumble, there's not enough water, there's not enough to eat, we're sick and tired of this, and so God provides a a way for uh, to feed the people. Manna coming down that they would gather up, quail that would fly into camp that they would eat, all that. God always provides. Years and years go by, And as the Israelites are wandering in the desert, they get to a place again, and they say, wait a minute here, this is terrible. If we would have just died in Egypt, it was so good. We had it so good in Egypt, why on earth did we come out here? You remember the Egypt that they were forced to make bricks without straw, that they were beat, that they all that, but now they're remembering Egypt as some this great place, this great time. Man, here we are out here wandering around, and we don't even have enough to drink. And Moses goes into God's presence and God says, hey, take the staff, go out there, speak to the rock. He had asked Moses before, hit the rock with the staff, and water came out. This time God says, Moses, just go out and and speak to the rock. And it's going to be, water will come out. And look what happens here. It says, they quarreled with Moses and said, if only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord, why did you bring the Lord's community into this wilderness that we and our livestock should die here? In other words, Moses, it's your fault 
that Korah's rebellion happened, all of that. Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain or figs, grapevines or pomegranates, and there's no water to drink. Man, this is bad, Moses. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said, Listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? How do you think Moses is feeling right now? I am so sick and tired of these people grumbling, rebelling. I am sick of it. Do you think Moses has warm fuzzies for the people he's serving right now? No, there's nothing like that. He's angry. He's upset. And it says that Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. God had told him, just speak to the rock. And water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. God allowed water to come out when Moses struck the rock. But he takes Moses aside and says, Moses, you know what I told you to do? I told you to talk to it. You struck the rock. That's not what I told you to do. And because you did that, this land that you want to see, this land that you've been working hard to, to possess, you, along with all the rest of this generation, is not going to be able to see it. And you get into Deuteronomy, Moses really debates this with God. He's frustrated, he's upset about it, as I blew it here, and come on, just let me go in there. And he says, nope, Moses, that's not what's going to happen. We'll talk more about that next week. He said, there's consequences, Moses, and you leading here, you did not provide a good example, and there's consequences because of that, and you're going to have to live with those consequences. Now, there's, there's a happy ending there, and we'll get to that next week. But do you see what's going on here? Do you see a pattern here? Something else happens is uh, in, and as Numbers is starting to close out here, there's a story of Balaam, and it's uh, the only, uh, it, the, the hero in the story is the donkey that talks. It's kind of amazing. He's the only one that has sense. No one else has sense here. But Balaam is a, a diviner, magician type, um, medium spiritualist that uh, the king of Moab, Balak, uh, says, hey, I've got this huge people that's camped on my doorstep, and I don't want them here. I want you to come and curse them. And Balaam says, can't do that. God has told me that I can't curse them. I can only bless them. Well, we're going to pay you a lot. We're going to make you wealthy. We're going to re- reward you handsomely. All of this, Balaam says, can't do it. I'll go along. I'll come and I'll visit. But I can only tell you, and I can only pronounce on the Israelites what God has called me to do. Make no mistake, Balaam's not a good dude. He's in this for money, okay? But he's on his way. He's, uh, uh, his donkey runs off the road, smashes his leg, all that kind of thing. And Balaam is so mad at this donkey, he says, what on earth? Why on earth have you done this? And the donkey says, wait a minute, why have you hit me? Is this my, do I do this all the time? There's a reason for this. And the uh, angel of the Lord is standing there in the way, giving a great warning to Balaam is, look, I'm running the show here, and you better do what I tell you to. And, um, and by the way, why did you hit your donkey? I'm not too happy about that. It's kind of interesting exchange that happens there. So Balaam goes and he looks at the Israelite camp from different places. Over the next few days, Balak takes him to some different places. And he says, I want you to curse the Israelites here. Okay, well, let's make the sacrifices here. We'll do my normal thing. And there's times it says that one of the times that Balaam does not use divination like he does. He doesn't conjure up the spirits like he would, but he just sits quietly and God speaks to him, approaches him and says, can't do this, Balaam. 
I am blessing these people and you may not curse them. And so day after day, over and over again, Balaam goes back to Balak and says, sorry, can't curse them, got to bless them, that's the way it's going to be. And Balak goes his way and Balaam goes his way and they're not very happy with each other, but that's basically where the story ends. The next chapter, something we don't see in Numbers, but something that Revelation tells us later, it says this, There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. This is what happens in Numbers chapter 25, right after Balaam takes off. So we don't know what happens there or exactly what the discussions are, but it must have gone something like this, where Balaam is saying, Balak, look, I cannot curse these people. God has blessed them. Oh, by the way, but I can tell you, I know something about this God that they serve, and I know something about these people. What I would recommend is you and the Midianites that are here as well, you guys are trying to survive, just send your girls over there. Send your girls over there. Get your girls involved with their boys. And, uh, and bring those boys out and help them, uh, teach them how to worship your gods. And this God will get so jealous he'll destroy them themselves, himself. But that's the way to do it. Don't try to curse these people directly. God's not going to allow that. But have them destroy themselves by getting involved in idolatry and immorality. That's the way to do it. And it, Balaam takes off. But later, Scripture tells us something like this discussion must have happened because that's what happens next with the Israelites. Is they're camped there, and instead of the Moabites trying to, trying to curse them, the girls go down there, get involved with the boys, all sorts of destruction happens, and there's plagues and, and all a really, really sad story that, that comes out of this. But do you see what happens in this time of wilderness? The Israelites for 40 years are living in this in-between time. They're not in Canaan. They're not in Egypt. And they want to go back to Egypt, but they, they can't. And, man, it's just tough. Can you think about for yourself times where you've been in the wilderness, the in-between times that where you're not where you want to be, but you don't want to be back where you are, and it's just tough. It's just you have to wrestle through that. I think I talked about this right when COVID first hit. We talked about wilderness and what uh, wilderness times are like and what it means to thrive in the wilderness. So I want to share some other things that I haven't shared here before. This is a definition I found that I think is helpful to think about. Spiritual wilderness, which we do find ourselves in, its purpose is to free you from sin and bondage so that you can be transformed into who God has called you to be. Going into the wilderness is rough and it may seem worse than the place you left. You'll be tempted to go back to your past, not because it's good, but because it's familiar. Do you see what's happening here? Is The Israelites have left Egypt, they've got out into the wilderness, and not that Egypt was good, but they remember it as being good because it's familiar. At least they knew what was going to happen. And here they are wandering in the desert, not knowing, at least deciding not to trust that they're going to be delivered into this land that God promised them. And it's scary. And so the wilderness is a place of separation. They've, they're separated from their past. They're disconnected from their future still. But what they don't realize at this point in time is the wilderness is a time of preparation and a time for God to reveal himself. I try to think about what would have happened if God would have taken the Israelites, crossed the Red Sea, brought them out to the border of Canaan, cleared the Canaanites out, and brought them in there and said, Hey, here it is. 
Here's the place. Love it. It's going to be great. The Israelites could not be left alone for a few days at this point in time without running straight back into idolatry. And if they would have been given Canaan on a silver platter, what do you think they would have done? They would have gone straight back into idolatry. They did that anyway. But it would have been far, far worse. And so God, because his hands are forced, uses this time of the wilderness wanderings, 40 years of it, to teach the Israelites, you've got to trust me. Okay, you've got to trust me. These idols are not going to work. This is, you know, you doing your thing, it's going to be disastrous. Maybe the next generation can learn from you. And what happens, we're jumping ahead a few weeks here, but there's a generation that is developed that does genuinely trust God. Would that have happened without the wilderness? No way. So think about that. For us as a church, as people, as families, there's a lot of things that uh, we find ourselves in life in times of wilderness where we have to leave something behind, but we're not sure what the future looks like, but it is hard to grasp on to what we're supposed to be doing right now. I think about when I graduated from high school. It was scary there for a while. I graduated from high school. What's next? That wasn't near as scary as I went to college. I had a plan. But I remember when I graduated from college, it was like, oh, man, what on earth am I supposed to do now? I have three or four options. I'm not sure which is the best one, but this is scary, and I'm not sure what to do next. There's all sorts of times of wilderness areas where times of transition where we're just not sure what we're supposed to be doing, whether it be uh, after the death of a spouse or, or before we get married or transition from jo- one job to the other, uh, empty nester. There's all sorts of situations in life that we find ourselves. Some of them are more obvious. Some of them just happen. We don't realize why they happen, but we're, we're just in a spot where we think, man, there's got to be something different. I can't go back to where I, I was before. Even if I tried, I can't do that. And I can't really force God's hand to bring me into what I'm supposed to be doing or where I'm supposed to be now. And what happens during those times, there's all sorts of temptations that come. Fear, you see that with the Israelites, that 40 years. Complacency, we're so tired of this impatience. Moses, we're so tired of you being in charge. We're tired of of God being in charge. We're going to do something different. Jealousy, grumbling, and much, much, much more comes out of those times of wilderness. Okay? But here's the key, and it's not easy, and there is no shortcut. Okay? No amount of wonderful memes on Facebook would have brought Israel through the promised land. Okay, Those memes on Facebook, I use them. They're wonderful. Some of them. Right? But ultimately, here's the deal. is There are times in our life where we have to decide, am I going to trust God now or am I going to bail? And that's it. And there is no shortcut. There's no easy answers except... There's no easy answers. And we have the choice to say, I will dig deep and I will do what is right, right now. No matter how bad it feels, no matter how frustrated I may be, no matter how much I don't want to trust God right now, I will trust Him. And that's what you see for people that have great faith all throughout Scripture. Did Job have to do that? Oh man, did Abraham have to do that? Did Moses have to do that? 
Absolutely. When there were people around them that were dropping like flies saying, forget it, I'm out of this, no more, I'm done. God's people of faith said, I will put my head down and yet will I trust God even though I can't figure it out. I will not quit. It's spiritual grit is what it boils down to. And during those times, it's important to go deep with God in prayer and fasting. It's important to surround ourselves with people who will not allow us or enable us to grumble, but will call us higher saying, no, God is still working. It's not anybody else's fault. Maybe it is, but it doesn't matter. You're called to still be faithful, no matter what else happens around. And by, you know, I see a lot standing up front, okay? You know, sometimes that I see when you're sleeping, don't think that you're getting away with it, okay? I see it, I know, you know, all that. But what I also see is sometimes I see tears, sometimes I see hurt, sometimes I see, oh yeah, I can identify with that. If you've been around long enough in life, you and I both know that there's times where we feel like God is far away, that we feel like, oh my goodness, why did I get myself into this? Why did I do this? I wish I could go back to where I was before. I know I can't, and I'm not sure what to do next, but those are the times we've got to remember there may be nothing fancy. We may look like a total wreck. We may look like a total disaster, but... Wilderness is very, very important to transform us to be what God wants us to be next. The Israelites needed that, and we need it. Never forget this from 1 Peter chapter 2. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, Jesus, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame just like the Israelites had this God that brought them out of Egypt through these wonderful miracles and signs, the God that we serve, who went to the cross, died for us, for our sins, so that we could, so that we could walk side by side with him into eternity, is saying, look, I've done all this before, I've created the world, I've, look, I've got you, your job right now is to trust me and be faithful. No matter what happens around you, no matter what society is saying, no matter what, you just trust and be faithful. For part of me, that takes a huge load off my shoulders. And hopefully it does for you as well. Because there's a whole lot of things that can be real complex in life in all sorts of different ways. But ultimately, the one question that comes back when we struggle is, will I trust God or not? And just go deep. All right? Let's walk side by side, trusting God day in, day out. If you'd like to become a Christian today or you'd like prayers at the church, Elders are waiting in the back, and they uh, would, uh, would love to pray with you or uh, be a blessing in any way that uh, you need the church to be. Well, let's stand and sing together. On bended knee I come with